Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning, church family. I missed you guys. So, it's good to be back. Um, it's good to be back. God's doing some awesome things. We get posts on Facebook and phone calls even and uh, notes from people over the last few weeks of what's been happening. The high school kids had an awesome time at the Desperation Conference. And... Uh, this, um, this week, starting tomorrow night, we start Vacation Bible School. And if you have kids that aren't yet registered, um, Pastor Sam said, make sure that, that you encourage them, get registered today, because tomorrow night will be chaotic with all the community people coming in, getting signed up. If you could please go over there today um, and get your kids signed up, there's a little iPad there at the, the children's foyer. You can get your kids all signed up. The tomorrow night will go really smooth for them. Um, I encourage you, invite your friends. Uh, Vacation Bible School is a great time for, for um, you to invite a friend kids come, there's crafts, there's games, of course, the, there's lessons about Jesus, and hopefully they'll get a touch of the Lord in their life that they'll want to come back on the weekend. We have a special thing for families on Friday night to encourage them then to come back and enjoy worship and fellowship with us if they don't have a church home. So if you have neighbors, friends, family members who um, you think might be available to come to Vacation Bible School, invite them tomorrow night. They don't even have to be pre-registered. They can just show up tomorrow night, and we'll get them plugged in. And if you're helping, uh, thank you so much for volunteering. Uh, it's going to be an awesome week as we minister to our kids. Julie and I have been on a, um, well, I've been on a study break, and we've spent some time first uh, kind of detaching from the church and all the routine stuff. And every summer I do this for a few weeks just to kind of get a fresh perspective and a chance to visit some other churches, talk to pastors, read some books, pray, think through things happen in the church, plan ahead of what's coming like in the fall and Christmas and those sorts of things. And we had a great time getting to um, connect with old colleagues that we did ministry with, a pastor and his wife that I worked with down in Arizona. We, we met in um, Omaha. We also got to sit down and with, have coffee with Jeff and Miranda Madison. Some of you remember Jeff when he served here. Got to meet a lot of ministry partners at the North American Christian Convention in Indianapolis. That's a convention of churches like ours. We're part of a fellowship of the independent Christian churches. We're not a denomination, but an affiliation of churches that are connected because we share so much in common. And God's been doing some incredible things through our sister churches all across the country. In the early 1980s, when I was down in Mesa, our church was one of probably only 10 churches in our fellowship that were running over 1,000 in attendance on the weekend. And today, there's, there's over 130 churches in our fellowship that are over 1,000, and there are three that are over 20,000 every weekend in worship. And there's some awesome preaching. They're reaching lost souls for Christ. They're reaching some of the, the furthest people out that you think would come to church are, are finding the Lord. And so when you're traveling around, if you need help finding a church, let us know, and we'll help you get connected. Today, I get the privilege of wrapping up this series that our, our, our staff has helped carry this month in a great way called Growing Up. And over the last several weeks, we looked at different elements that God uses to grow us in our faith. We started with um, divine experiences, divine encounters with God where we come together and worship. And sometimes it's just in a, in a worship service where God touches us in a way. I know a lady last week that the message really touched her, and she said, I need to let go on some stuff, and I need to get baptized. And she made that decision last week. Didn't know that what was going to happen when she came to church, but it was one of those divine encounters where God's word spoke into her life in a powerful way. We have those decisive moments, which we had on Father's Day when over 70 people said, you know, I, I need to uh, get off the fence and I need to be right with God. I need to get baptized. And we saw just a flood of people getting baptized on that, uh, that weekend. We had devoted service, knowing that when we're in ministry, giving of ourselves, using the gifts God's given us that helps us to grow. Uh, daily habits, diving into the Word, just having quiet time with God every day is a significant part of our spiritual growth. 
uh, defining experiences, those moments where our, our faith is refined or we start to drift away from God, turn our backs on God. Uh, God allows those things to come into our lives, so we depend on him even more. Well, today I want to talk about deep relationships. I think this may be the most profound of all of them, that, that God uses people in our lives to help shape our faith. I look back when I was in high school, and I, I was a pretty likable kid. I, I knew a lot of people. I was on the prom court and played in sports, so I knew a lot of people. But I'd have to say there were times in my high school life where I was very lonely. I would go home and sit on my bed and think, God, just, just life seems lonely. It just seems like there's got to be more to life than this. Well, I was invited to go to a youth group at a Methodist church, and kids uh, came together, and we sang songs and heard things about the, the scriptures, but there was a guy there that led the group, and, and he had something that I'd never seen before. He had kind of this glow about him, this excitement, this enthusiasm for Jesus that I'd never seen in church before. Now, we had church people who'd come to church and do the church thing. This guy was, like, really excited about Jesus, and he was generous even though he was very poor. He was so loving to people, so gracious, and it was just good to be around him. And I said, I I want what he has. I like what he has. I need some of what he has. And over the course of time, I learned from him. I learned how Jesus worked in his life. I learned how to have a real relationship with the Lord. I I accepted Jesus, and a couple years later, after my junior year of high school, I moved into a cabin on a lake with him and another kid from our high school youth group who had just graduated. And we had late nights at that cabin where kids would come over and we'd talk about the Lord, we'd we'd worship, we'd pray together. It was an exciting time in my spiritual life. And then I went off to Bible college. And at Bible college, I got surrounded by people who shared common interests and got to know a lot of of um, guys who really loved the Lord, had a deep walk with the Lord. I had them as roommates, and we shared life together. And some of those friendships I discovered were deeper than any friendship I'd ever had in high school. In fact, even today, there are friends that I went to college with that if we were to meet, we could almost instantly um, return to a place we were 20-some years ago. It's just amazing. I, I began to work in churches and began, be, began to get really close to staff members and elders and ministry partners and particularly people in our small group that we would share life with. And over the course of time, we had so many friendships. And we realized that friendships are a key part of our spiritual growth. And the odd thing is that, that in a church, when you're around a lot of people, like, like this room today, there's a lot of people around you, yet many of you are very lonely. You can be with people and still feel very disconnected and alone. And I believe that so many of you are hungering and saying, Pastor, I really want to have deeper relationships. I don't know how to do that. And so what I want to do today is remind you of how important relationships are, your spiritual growth, but then also give you some practical steps that you can take to go deeper in the relationships that you already have. And I know for many of you today, God's going to answer a prayer. God's going to give you some direction and give you an assignment to follow through to develop those kind of relationships that will shape your faith. So let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege that that I have of sharing your word and speaking to your people. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would speak to us, and that it truly would be a divine encounter with you today as you speak to us about this important thing called relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we need friends who will speak into our lives and show us what it means to follow Jesus. People who will be there to offer sometimes a fresh perspective, who will speak God's truth in our lives, sometimes will call us to account on some things. 
people who will, who will encourage us and affirm us. We need people like that. For some reason, even though you have a relationship with Jesus, God uses people who, with skin on to really help us to grow. And I want to give you a biblical background to that, that, that relationships are a priority. George Gallup said, and many of you remember him as a great um, pollster, he said Americans are some of the loneliest people on earth. That does seem strange, because I know some of you have two, three, four hundred Facebook friends, right? How can you be lonely when you have all these friends? And you know what I'm afraid of? We have substituted Facebook friends or friending someone as real friendship, but it's not. In many cases, it's very superficial friendship. And many times we're communicating online or texting and not really developing a deep friendship. And we live in a culture that I think has caused a tension. See, here's the tension. Years ago, when you lived on the farm or you worked in the factory, you were behind machines all day or you're staring at the hind end of a cow or whatever you're doing all day and you go, this isn't much conversation. So I can't wait till I get home because we're going to have some people over or we're going to get together with some people and I'm looking forward to that. And today, we don't live on the farm anymore and most of us don't work in factories anymore. Many of us are around people all day and the last thing you want to do when you get home is to be around more people. It's tough enough being with your family, let alone invite some people over. And so while we're starved for deeper relationships, we're kind of caught like, I don't know if I want to invest that energy. But here's what you need to know. Sometimes when you're very, very tired and tired of people, you need to know it's people that can pick you back up. There are people that will sap you, and you don't want any more of those in your life. And there are people who will zap you, who will charge your life, who will spark your life. Sundays are a very exhausting day for me. It's physically and emotionally tiring. When I go home in the afternoon, I'm not my best person. But you know, our small group meets on Sunday nights, and it picks me up. Because I'm around people who zap me. They don't drain me. They pick me up. And it's kind of like when you, when you work out, when you're tired, you're tired to go, I don't, I don't feel like working out. But, but you know, you, you go ahead and you do it. And you feel, I feel better after working out. It's that way with people. I don't know if I'm ready for all these people. And you go meet with them. You know what? I'm glad I met with those people because I feel better being with them. We need people like that. Now, culturally, you can just look at houses, how this has changed. When I was a kid back in the Midwest, most homes were built with a porch in front. And after, uh, you know, maybe dinner or after a day of hard work, you'd sit out there sometimes as a family and you just watch the traffic go by. People on their bicycles, walking their dogs, and, hey, George, how's it going? You know, and, and you'd invite, say, hey, want to come up for a piece of pie and coffee? You'd invite people up and you'd sit there on the front porch and interact with people. Why? Because you spent the day on the tractor or in the factory. Now we come home stressed out from meetings, phone calls with angry customers, you know, all this interaction with patients, and you get home, and we sneak in through our garage, close the door behind us, we get inside, and we don't have porches anymore. Do you know what we have? What's out back? The deck. The deck. Kind of like the porch, but on the backside, where no one else can go but me and my family. And I can sit there with my steak and my, my drink, whatever I'm drinking, and I can just sit there and chill and be lonely. And so we have this dilemma. What do we do? How are we going to overcome this? Well, like I said, you, we need to recognize that, that people are a good thing to have in our lives. God designed us to require companionship. That was his design from the very beginning. In the, in the book of Genesis, creation starts off with God, God makes this, these things on the first day and it's very good. Or it's, excuse me, it's good. The second day, 
At the end of the day, God says, it's good. Third day, it's good. Fourth day, it's good. Fifth day, it's good. But the sixth day, he makes Adam. He says it's not so good. In fact, if you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God gave him an assignment to take care of the garden. But he watched him as he did it, and God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a a helper suitable for him. It's not good for what? For man to be alone. God said this. Now, here's what's so amazing. This this is going to blow you away. Adam is there, and at this time, sin has not even entered the world. So God is walking in the garden in some form with Adam. And God says to Adam... It's not enough that you have me. You need another human being. So I'm going to make one. He makes a woman. And she becomes his companion. Eventually, they, they become husband and wife, and they have children and all that. But, but, but the goal was not just that he would have a wife. The goal was maybe more importantly, he would have someone he could interact with, someone to communicate with. Because God made all these animals, and as Adam named the animals, no suitable helper was found among them. I mean, you can't talk to the animals, contrary to Dr. Doolittle. You can't really do that. They can, they can bark at you and they can rub against you, but you really can't have a good conversation with your pets. So God made, makes a, someone in his image to be with Adam to share life with. You've heard it said that man has this God-shaped vacuum within him that only God can fill. You can't fill it with achievement. You can't fill it with money. You can't fill it with hobbies. You can't fill it with, with um, food. You can't fill it with sex. You can't fill it with anything else. This God-shaped vacuum that, that, that only God can fill. We recognize that. But God tells Adam, there's a man-shaped void in your life that only a man, another human, can fill. I can't fill it. And that may be mind-blowing to some of you. I thought Jesus was all you needed. But here God's saying, you need people. You need another person to share a life with. I'm not enough for you. You need someone. And so we are wired for companionship. So Adam and Eve, Mary, they have kids. Those kids have kids, and, and God begins to populate the earth. And he continues his focus on relationships by planning for these communities. God's plan includes a community, a community of people that are connected together. Not just individuals who love God, but communities who grow with God, who follow God together. So in the Old Testament, God takes Abraham, begins to form a nation, the nation of Israel. And they become a very special group of people to God. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation special to God. You'll be the ones God speaks to, and you'll be the ones who love God and are blessed by God. Well, in the New Testament, kind of the mantle is passed on to the church. In the the book of Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God's not just about individuals knowing Jesus. He's about communities coming together, people joining together as the body of Christ. So we need each other. 
It's required that we connect with each other. In the early church, that day that 3,000 people were baptized, immediately they began to meet together. They prayed together. They, they uh, heard God's, words, God's word together. They, they fellowshiped together. They met in each other's homes. It says they broke bread together. And breaking bread is, is, is a reference to communion, but it's beyond that. It's a sharing of a, of a feast together. And churches throughout history have been famous for eating together, potlucks and meals, agape feasts. And that's an important part of fellowship. I don't know, for some reason when the tummy's happy, uh, conversation flows. We, we like to get together and meet around a meal or, or gather around food. And it's not just the, the New Testament church. In the book of Revelation, we look at heaven. Who is it? It's God's bride, the church, coming together at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so we're in this together. And if we're going to spend eternity together, let's become good friends. Because it's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. That was God's plan from the very beginning. And God's law prioritizes connecting. It's so important to God that of all the laws that God gave, he says they all boil down to these two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the problem. People say, well, I love God a lot. I just don't get along with other people. So Jesus says, okay, let me just clarify this. I'm going to give you a new command. Here it is. Love each other as I have loved you. If you do that, you'll fulfill the law. And so he writes later in one of his letters, you you can't say you love God when you don't love the people around you. So let's, let's just make it clear. Love people, because in loving people, you'll love God. And so in the book of Romans, we are reminded of an obligation that we have. In chapter 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And listen to this. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. How are you going to love others? Well, you got to get close to them. you got to interact with them. You've got you to get real with them. You've got to be authentic with them. God made it so important that he pointed us through his law to this process of connecting with people. Now, one thing that's amazing um, about Starbucks is that I know some of you really like Starbucks coffee, but other people say the coffee's okay. In fact, they'll say, like, you know, I like, I like Dunkin' Donuts coffee better, or I like this other place's coffee better. But there's something about Starbucks that's almost magical. And Starbucks really isn't about the coffee. Here's one of their recruitment pitches. When you work at Starbucks, you can make a difference in someone's day by creating an environment where neighbors and friends can get together and reconnect while enjoying a great cup, a great coffee experience. A coffee experience. You know, people have been drinking coffee for generations. And coffee is pretty cheap. And Starbucks says, you know what, we're going to add a few things to it, spray some foam on it, and uh, you guys are going to love each other. And so people sit in Starbucks. I've seen people sit in Starbucks with their laptops just to be around other people. There's something in the coffee, and not just Starbucks now, there's really all these coffee shops are places to connect with people. I don't even think it's really about the coffee. I think it's about the atmosphere, that people are so hungry to connect. I meet often with people in coffee shops, Starbucks or Icy Hot or Black Bear, um, and I'm not a huge coffee fan, but I'm a people fan. And it creates a great environment. 
um, to meet with people. I also like to meet with people at, on the border and Chili's and, and Applebee's and Wingstop and all those places too. But it's a little cheaper to get coffee. Now, as we, as we love on people and get to know people, you develop what are called friends. And we have friends that are at different levels. So I want to share with you something. I didn't make this up, but I thought it was, it's a good memory tool. A list of types of friendships was developed by author Joffrey Greif, who wrote the book, The Buddy System, Understanding Male Friendships. He says there are four types of friendships. I think it applies to men and women. There are those that we would call just friends. Just friends. We might call them acquaintances. Uh, They have a familiar face. I kind of like them. I don't even know their name. I don't know where they live, where they work, but yeah, they're a nice person. I wouldn't mind getting to know them a little more, but uh, they, don't, they don't turn me off or upset me. You know, they're, they're nice. Probably most of you in this room would say the people around you are just friends. You don't know them that well, but, you know, they're likable. You don't go any further in that relationship. We have a lot of people. This is like a big pool in our lives. It may, it may be people in your neighborhood, in your class, at school, at the gym, those that ride the, the bus with you, or work in your office. It may be the person who checks you out at the grocery store or deals with your bank transactions. And you see on a regular basis, you say, yeah, I know that person. I'd call them, yeah, they're a friend. What kind of friend? Well, not a real deep friend, but they're a friend. They're really an acquaintance. But these are just friends. There are those that we might call, or he calls, rust friends. Rust friends. Friendships that have gone to a place where they just won't go any further. It's like they got stuck. They just won't move further. And maybe you've, you've encountered people like that. He says, you know, I, I, think, I think we're going to hit it off. And this happens dating, but it also happens with, with same-sex friendships where, hey, I'm going to go golfing with this guy or go hunting with them. Or she says, we're going to go shopping together or ha- have coffee together. And you do something, and then you realize, you know what? We don't have as much in common as I thought, or the chemistry wasn't there. And you sort of hit a level, kind of hit a lid, and, and it sort of stops there. It rusts there. There are people that we've um, been in situations with where circumstances just put us together. We're in the same, you know, Bible class. We're in the same church. We're in the same office. We've been in school all these years together that you would consider a friend, but not a deep friend. It's just a friendship that kind of reached a level. And it, there's, there's sort of a, a loyalty to the person because you share a lot of history together, but it stagnated. My best friend early days of high school was a guy named Mark. And almost every day after school, I would walk over to his house because he lived near the high school, and we would go down to his basement because he pretty much owned the basement. He had a little sports world set up there, and we would take some drinks down there and talk about girls and about sports and about life. And Well, a couple years later, I became a Christian. And Mark and I didn't share that in common. It became very awkward because I was growing so much and excited about it, and I couldn't talk to him about it because he wasn't interested And so we began to drift apart. And you know what? Our friendship stopped at a level. We remained friends, but it just stopped. Every once in a while, I'll get a letter from him or a a Christmas update, and I'll respond to him. And uh, we have fond memories playing summer baseball together and hanging out together. There's a lot of great memories that we share, but they're all past memories. When we were traveling through Wisconsin we visited a church in Waukesha, and I, I said, oh, Mark lives in Waukesha. I probably ought to see him. And then I just kind of lost heart because I thought, what are we going to talk about? We to, we'll talk about the old memories, but we don't have anything new, really. And, and the, to bring my wife into that is probably going to be kind of awkward. She's just going to sit there and 
say, well, that, that wasn't that fruitful. <laughs> On the other hand, we, we stopped in, like I said, in, in Omaha and visited, you know, Jeff and Miranda or Mark and Linda, the couple we did ministry with. And man, that was, that was invigorating. That was refreshing because our relationships continue to grow. So we have people in our lives that we would call rust friends. There are those that would be trust friends. People we feel comfortable with, glad to see. They may not be our BFFs. They could be one day. But they are people that we're, we're, we're comfortable opening up with and sharing things with, asking questions, hanging out with. Maybe they're the people you invite to the birthday party or to your kid's wedding or your, your little kid's birthday party or different events. You know, people that you say, that's, that's, that's my closer circle. And these are people I, I really enjoy sharing life with. Hopefully... You have several people that fit in that camp. You know, uh, that, that's a, a pool that being in ministry has allowed us um, a, a pretty big circle because f- for me, I have elders, staff members, um, people I do ministry with. I have small group members. And all those become these trust friends. I, I, I look forward to being around them. I look forward to having lunch with them. I look forward to sitting down with them, sharing life experience with them. They are trust friends. They're the kind of person that you might invite to, to go to a movie or, or go golfing with or, or go hunting. Um, when I was down in Arizona, I developed a, a friendship over the course of time with a man that worked in the children's ministry. He was also an elder. We would spend probably a breakfast or lunch together twice a month. And over the course of time, developed this really deep friendship. And now we've been apart for over 18, almost 19 years. And yet all it takes is a phone call and we can pick up kind of where we left off. And last year, he called me in March. His wife had been in the hospital. She'd been dealing with leukemia for some time. He said, Patty's not going to get any better. The doctor said she's failing and uh, they want her to go home and just be in, in the home environment. They've given her two months to live. I said, Tom, we want to come down and see her while she's still alive. So we, the next day, made plane reservations to go down to see her. Um, a couple weeks later, the next night, I tell Tom, Tom, I got the tickets. We've got it all planned. He said, Patty just passed away. And a choked up voice said, uh, I would really um, like it if you could come and be part of the funeral service. And I felt so honored that I thought, why, why would he ask me? I've been away for 18 years. I don't deserve that, that right. But you know what? Something had been formed a, found, a friendship foundation had been formed that even space and time wasn't going to erode very quickly. And see, we, how do we move friends from that trust down to what he would call in the fourth category, the must friends? The friends that you would say like, I don't want to go on without you. My life wouldn't be the way it is without you. And maybe you have one person like that in your life. Maybe you've got two or three. You can't have that many because they take quite an investment of, of energy and time. And many people don't have one like that. But some of you grew up, and maybe it's your sister, your brother, your mom or dad. My family wasn't that close, so uh, none of my family members qualify for that. And I would have to confess to you that when my wife and I moved here, we left behind some very good friendships that took years to form. And one of the hardest adjustments for us to make was starting all over. And the church had a lot of nice people. A lot of those um, just friends. We feel comfortable here. We like being here. We just crave for those deeper friendships. 
And for several years, we didn't find them. So, so we began to look at ways to start to connect with people. And I'd have to say in just the last five or six years, we finally broke through that wall to say, you know, I think we have some really, really close friends. We feel like this is our, our family. These are people we don't want to do life without. And I know that, that many of you are in that place of life because I hear people say to me sometimes, Pastor, I, I'm real lonely. I'm single. I don't have a close friend. You marry people, kind of got stuck with someone. I don't. How, how do I get there? Some others would say, like, I keep going to this church and I see all these people. I don't really know any of them very well. How do I get to those deeper places? Well, I want to I end by giving you four suggestions for taking relationships deeper. And wherever they are, you may have this big pool of acquaintances and say, I want to I go to a deeper level with those people. Or you've got a lot of trusted friends. Say, but I'd, I'd like to find, how do I get those special ones? And you know, the, the must friend is the kind of person you'd call up when you get that news you want to celebrate. I got the promotion. Or I just got fired. Or we're going to become grandparents. Or I got this report from the doctor and it's not good. That's the, that's the friend you call in those special moments. I think we all want to have people like that in our lives. So here are some steps, I think, or suggestions to take you deeper in relationships. And we're going to start at the outer level and then go, go deeper in. And this sounds very basic, but, but especially for the younger crowd, turn off the technology and go to where the people are. I see people... <laughs> And then I have to confess, because I have to be online to see it. Um, I'm on there, and you can see who's online. Go, they're always online, and they're probably thinking, he is too. <laughs> we have substituted technology for real relationships. Somehow, I'm watching TV, and, and I'm feeling like I'm connecting with this person on TV. You're not. You don't know that bachelorette. <laughs> you don't know her. You don't know those guys. And so we've got these shows we watch, we're committed to, and then we go online, and then we listen to our podcasts or watch our shows, and we do all these things. But I just, I'm telling you, it's dangerous to, to think that technology is creating relationships. Now, it can help. You can stay connected. You can text someone a message. But a, a friendship is not built on, on texting, constant text messages, or, or even Facebook posts. I'm amazed at how vulnerable people often are on Facebook, and they aren't that vulnerable in person. But how can you share that personal stuff on Facebook when you never talk to people about that, where they can respond to you? See, here's the danger. One-way communication or, or simply text communication lacks the bigger part of communication. You can look at all those books on, on communication, and it'll say body language, tone of voice, facial expression, and gestures are the biggest part of communication, not just the actual words being shared. So if you're just sharing words on an email, what about the, the, the tone of voice in it? What about the expression? How they, what, what did they look like when they said that? I don't know. It was just a message on the screen. Well, I can misread it easily. But, you know, when you get together and you talk face-to-face, it's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's so much better. If you ever have a conflict with someone, you don't handle it through the, through the computer. You get together face-to-face. I think that's what Jesus would have us do. And some of us need to get out thinking, I'm going to do these searches for boyfriends, girlfriends, friends online. I'm just going to go to where the people are. 
one of the places people are is church. I mean, it's a good step you're here at church. That's one of, one of the good things. But maybe you get into an age group, like, like a high school group, or, or you get into an adult group, or you get into the seniors group, and you get to where maybe there, there's the potential for better connections with people, and you look for that. But you've got to get to where the people are if you're going to make friendships. Secondly, oh, by the way, you know, our high school kids went to camp this summer. And I remember looking at the picture of the kids that went to camp and went, what an odd collection of kids. I mean, they don't even hang out with each other. I wonder what that was like. And you know, when they came back, they're all huddled together in this big group picture hugging each other. And because they spent a full week at camp together, they left camp as friends. They had to get out of their comfort zone and get around other people, spend a lot, a lot of time with others, and in the course of time, friendships formed. How do you go deeper? Create events that bring people together. Instead of, instead of sitting back saying, whoa, nobody likes me. I wish someone would be my friend. You probably heard it said, the, the best way to find friends is to do what? Be a friend. Take the initiative. Be a friend. So here's, here's what's helped us. When, when Julie and I were struggling, saying, how do we go deeper with people? We decided, let's start a home Bible study. Let's invite people to be part of this home group. And we started to do that. We've had four or five different groups that we've helped create since we've been at this church. And without a doubt, the best friendships we've had in this church have come out of our small groups. And I wonder, what would have happened had we not initiated getting people together? I think we've missed out on some very rich relationships. Some of you, you might not be a Bible teacher, that's okay, but you might be the person who says, hey, we'd like to have a, get a group going. Maybe the church can help us, but I'm going I'm to invite them and them and them and them and say, hey, why don't you come over to our house on, on like Tuesday nights and we're going to do some study together on marriage or, or something and just see what God does as you're together. It's amazing what happens when you start to hang out together or you do a work project together. What did Jesus do? He says, you know, I, I, want, I want 12 guys to hang out with. I want, I want to, I'm going to create a small group called the Disciples. Twelve of them. He put a limit on it. Just twelve. That's, a, that's kind of the maximum size. And he says, I think I can deal with this. For three years, Jesus walked with them, learned with them, prayed with them, experienced life with them. Jesus did that. Third step you can take is see each other often and share life together. See each other often. There's no substitute for time to establish a relationship. Uh, people say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but only, only when the relationship has been strongly established. You need time to establish it. You need meals together, events together, uh, doing projects together, just constantly meeting together. And it's in that course of spending time together that life happens. All of a sudden, there's a death in the family. There's a birth of a child. There's a medical issue. There's a crisis to deal with. There's news to celebrate. And all of a sudden, in the midst of of all this time you spend together, you start to create a history together. You start to have um, memories together. And it starts to bond you in a very significant way. So you've got to spend. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. You've got to invest time. That's why I think, turn the TV off. I talked to a man the other night. He, he just got out of prison. He's been serving 10 years. And he's getting his life back on track again. And so after the barbecue on um, Friday night, I took him over a plate of, of barbecue. 
because he hasn't eaten real well. I thought he'd really like that. And when I was there, he's got this little TV that's like this big. I said, man, I'm sure we, in the church we could come up with a TV bigger than that for you. He says, I don't want a TV. I don't want a TV. I said, I get you. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of great things on TV. Amen. He wants to be with people. How do you take that group of trusted friends and go really deep and really get those best friends? It's going to require this, a desire to know and be known. To get closer, you really have to be willing to put the other, other's interests first, as Scripture says. You need to first be willing to understand their world. I'm amazed how often people get in, in circles and they just want to talk. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what my life is. Here's what I think. And, you know, you get tired of that. Rare is the person who says, I'm here for you. Tell me what's going on. Because so often people are, are turned off by that greeting, how you doing, when they know you really don't want to know. Who is the friend in your life who says, I really want to know how you're doing. I've got all the time of the day. Let's sit down and talk. And you know they mean it. Be that kind of friend. Be willing to listen. I remember this guy that went out with this girl. He, he, all night long, he was bragging about himself, what he accomplished, what he liked to do, what he dreamed of doing. And then it finally dawned on him that, that he, he'd been dominating the conversation. So he says, hey, enough about me. I'm going to stop talking about me. I'm going I'm I'm to turn over to you now. I'm just going to sit quietly. Tell me what you think about me. <laughs> I think a lot of people are like that. You know, my whole life's about me. When you make the other person more important than yourself, that opens up the door for a deeper relationship. And then as that door opens up, you open up yourself. And you begin to share those trusted things you won't share with everybody. That's a risk. When you start telling someone, you know, I really struggle with this, this addiction and I don't know what to do about it. Um, you need to know that person's not going to go and go, whew, can't wait to get home and tell my wife. I can't wait to get on Facebook. I can't wait to bring it up as a prayer concern. You know, um, you know, you know I know it's not going to go any further. It's a risk because sometimes people blow it and they fail you. But you'll never go really deep until you give someone something fragile and they hold it safe for you. And you go, you know what, that's a real friend. And so when you get that report from the doctor that says it looks like you may have cancer, you're going to call that person up. When, when, when you've got some news that's very tough to share, you're going to call that person. When you get something to really celebrate, you, know, you get an award, but you don't want to brag about it, but you say, I'm just so excited, I've got to tell someone. I'm going to tell Bob, because he knows me well, and I want him to celebrate with me. And you, you contact that person. It's, it's through that giving and sharing of a very deep, authentic stuff going on in our lives, that you develop that deep bond. You become true friends. Researchers years ago um, studied the effects of isolation on people, the effect of being separated from other people, and they found out that it actually has a devastating impact on your physical health. They found that people who had good habits, good eating habits, exercise habits, but were alone lived shorter lives than people who had a lot of friends but had bad habits like smoking and drinking and, and overeating and that kind of stuff. They said that those who had the bad habits and had friends lived significantly longer lives. I would say probably happier lives too. 
In other words, here's the message. It is better to sit in your living room eating a bowl of ice cream with your friends than standing alone on the treadmill chewing on a granola bar by yourself. So, you want to live a long life? Yes. Quit running. <laughs> grab some friends and head to I Top It. <laughs> you know, isn't that interesting? Yes. That is amazing that your emotional health, in spite of the fact that, you know, I've known people who smoke and, and drink and, and they said they're eating bread and pasta and stuff all the time. I said, how, do they, how come they're 95 years old? And that guy that used to run and work out and eat green stuff, he died at 65. Why is that? It, it might be. And you know what? My mom's a great example of this. My mom's a people person, and she's so healthy at 88. I think that's a secret because I look at her, and we walk in the door at my mom's house, and, and you just look on the, on the stove. You know, we're trying to eat healthy. They're on the stove, cinnamon rolls. And then she says, I was going to make you some cookies. And I said, Mom, you know, that's plenty. And the next day, she made some bars. And, you know, she's always making desserts and stuff. And I thought, Mom, we're going we're gonna to die of sugar and, and wheat and stuff. So, you know, stop it. But look at she's, she's She's a little overweight, but she's, she's doing well because of relationships. And you have to look no further than Jesus to know that Jesus, Jesus had a lot of followers travel with them. And, and watch him do things. And Jesus had some familiar faces. But Jesus also had 70. They were called disciples that he sent out at one time. And even among those 70, he had a smaller group of trusted friends that he really shared life intimately with, 12 disciples. And even among the 12 disciples, did you, did you know that Jesus actually had some favorites? Yeah. Peter, James, and John often went off with Jesus on special missions When Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, he just took those three friends with him. And if Jesus has all these different circles of relationships, and of course, Jesus had God as his best friend. If Jesus needed people as part of his life and different levels of friendships, don't you and I need them? And so I want to encourage you to do Take whatever steps you need to go do to go deeper in the relationships that you already have. Don't sit passively back and think friendships are just going to happen. They're not. You've got to put some effort into it. You've got you to invest time in it. You've got to invest some heart and soul in it if you want to get those kind of friends. But I'm telling you, when you have those friends, my friend Tom says this often, it's not so much what you do in life, but who you do it with. And you're going to be with people Forever. Forever. We're going to be with God in heaven, but we're not going to be alone. We're going to be with people. So why not enjoy the journey as we're preparing to go? So um, before you leave, I'm going to close in prayer. I would encourage you, when you come to church, you see people that are in that big pool of acquaintances. Why not? Even today, say, you know what? We see you every week here. You guys want to go to lunch together? You want to go out for breakfast together? You want to have coffee together? Hey, you know what? I've been meaning to sit down. Just to, you have 15 minutes. We'll go get a coffee here at the church. One of the blessings of having this extra period in between services, and there's going to be a half hour in between services here, is things kind of clear out in the lobby. Well, take advantage of that. Don't run out the door. Sit down, talk with someone, catch up. There are great people in this room, right? Look around. There's great people in this room. And you're just missing out on the opportunity. God's put you in a place to say, okay, somebody make a move. 
Somebody invite someone over to their house. Someone say, why don't you come over tonight? We'd love to have you over for, for pizza tonight. Or come over and watch the ball game together. Or, or you want to go on a hike together? Take the step, and you will be blessed by the relationships that develop. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you so much that you're about people. Lord, I, next to you, that's the thing I love best about church is the people. And Lord, I know sometimes people can be very frustrating and, and, and there can be those relationships that sap us. But Lord, I thank you that there are relationships within the church that really pick us up, that pour into us, that help us to see how you see things, to help us to hear your voice in a better way. And maybe, Father, through their example, we get to see how to follow you more clearly. So, Lord, I pray that as this church gathers week to week, as we gather every night this week for Vacation Bible School, that friendships would form, they would go deeper, and they would last a long, long time into eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.